Hi, I'm Kenny White. I'm the lead campus pastor over at Shakopee, and as you know, Friendship Church is one church on two campuses, and we like to flip back and forth from time to time to uh, stay unified and connect, and um, Pastor Matt asked if I would come this week and make sure it was safe for him to return after his message on the Bible and sexuality last week. Uh, so, Pastor Matt, if you're watching, uh, we got rid of the, the tar and feathers, and it is safe. So, uh, no, we, we do have a good time. It was an excellent message because it's based on the Word of God. And that's what we believe. The Word of God has the power of transforming. We believe the Word of God has the power to give life. In fact is, when I was in college, one of our professors, he would pull ministry students off to the side, and, and he'd just speak life into us. He was discipling us. We didn't even realize he was doing it. And uh, he, one day, he, he sat me down, and he said, Kenny, I want you to know that in the course of your ministry, people are going to come into your office, and they're going to have a variety of questions, uh, issues, and as couples come in, there are going to be three primary issues that they're, they're going to address, and you're going to have to have some scripture to back it up, and let me tell you what those are. The first one he talked about in no particular order was parenting, and he said, you know, you'll have one parent who is a disciplinarian and another one that is a little more gracious, and uh, getting them together on parenting is very difficult. You need to know what the scripture has to say about it. And you need to train people in how to parent in a biblical way. You'll notice that at Friendship Church, we have a parenting seminar that we offer throughout the year. Then he said, uh, there's another thing, and that's finances. Again, you have one, uh, you'll have the husband who manages money a certain way and a wife who, who manages money a different way. And sometimes there's conflict in that place. And you're going to have to know what the Bible has to say about finances and how to address it. And if you've been here for any length of time, you will have seen Pastor Nathan just a few weeks ago who talked about finances and the scriptures. And he said, the third thing that you're going to have to deal with is marital intimacy and talking what the scriptures have to say about that. It's a tough one, but it's going to be in your church for sure. And you're going to have to know what the scripture has to say about it. And if you were here last week, Pastor Matt did a great job of proclaiming God's word on human intimacy and the Bible. But there's a fourth thing that has risen up. Really, over the last 15 years, and that has probably been accentuated because of the advent of smartphones, and that's the issue of communication. We stopped asking some important questions like, why do we use words? What are, what's the importance of words? Why do humans talk at all? <laughs> and we're going to look in the scriptures today. And we're, we're, we're going to see through the Proverbs uh, how words are used. We're going to look at an interpretive skill, uh, a, a tool that we use in interpreting the Bible. From there, we're going to look at the Old Testament and a particular passage. We're going to make some observations. Then we're going to jump ahead and look at Jesus because ultimately, Jesus is our model. Am I right? Yeah. So we're going to look at Jesus. And in looking at Jesus, we're, we're going to have to calibrate uh, our own lives and say, is, is that how I use words? Is, is that why I use words? And we may have to do something that the Bible calls repenting. Repentance 
is, is a term that we use a lot in Scripture. It does mean to turn away, but it's also a change of our mind. So it may be, I used to think this way, but I'm convinced that this is not the way to think, and I'm turning towards another way, and specifically I'm turning towards God. That's the way the word repentance is used and should be understood in the Scriptures. So, with that in mind, we're, we're going to pray, and we're going to jump in the Word together. You ready? All right, let's do it. Lord, we love you, and we thank you and praise you and ask Almighty God that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up. Lord, we need you. And so, as we come together, we recognize, uh, one, that communication is a big deal in our culture. And two, we also recognize that uh, many people have been wounded because of communication. They've been wounded because of our words. In fact, for many of us, we can think back of a time when we were young where words were spoken into our lives that shattered us, that wounded us, affected us, and we accepted as truth. And Lord, for many of us, we've taken that as the model of how we should use words. And in doing that, we've hurt and we've wounded others. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask today that you would bring your healing balm into this place. That you would minister amongst us in a way that we can only say, God met us here. And so, Lord, with that in mind, we offer this time to you. We offer our hearts to you. And we ask that you would help us to receive that which you want to give us. And that you would take anything that is not of you. And all for your glory. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, let's jump right into this. The verses today are going to be uh, on the screen. Uh, I want to encourage you to get your Bible out, to highlight, underline, write notes to the side uh, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, I, I will be moving kind of quickly through these passages, so hang in there with me. But here's the first one, Proverbs 16, 24. And as we're looking at these passages, let me explain what we're doing. We're trying to understand how words are used. Has anybody been wounded by words? Right, four of you. Uh, we all have. Everyone's hands should be in the air. I, I maybe just wounded you with that comment. I don't know. Uh, but it, it, it's true, though. Uh, words have the power to wound. But words have power to heal, too. And we're going to see this in the Proverbs. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Again, we recognize that, that words have the ability to give us something that we don't deserve. That's, that's grace. Let's look at some more. Proverbs 12, 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. In other words, our words can have the ability to wound and give pain to one another. You know, the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a lie. Like, that, that's not true. I mean, sure, it might not break a bone, but what it, does, what it can do to the soul, if we're not careful, uh, can be deep and long-term impacting. But the tongue of the wise bring healing, brings healing. Proverbs 17.4 An evildoer listens to, the, to wicked lips, Again, our words can be wicked. And a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Proverbs 18, 2. 
A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Maybe you've been in those kind of conversations where you're having a disagreement about something, and as you're talking and you look this person in the eye, you see a blank stare, like they're looking through you to the other side, and you realize you're just waiting for me to shut up so that you can say what you want to say. You're not hearing me. Uh, this is what that is. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And then Proverbs 18.13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So before we really dig into this, I, I want to talk about a, a principle. The, the principle is the principle of first mention, sometimes called the law of first mention. It's an important tool to use as we, as we read the scriptures, as we try to understand the scriptures, and as we try to interpret the scriptures. It's the rule or principle of first mention. Dr. David Jeremiah, he talks about it, and I love the way that he says it. I can't say it any better, so I'm just going to quote him. And this is what he says. Those who study the Bible in a serious way sometimes refer to the law of first mention. It's not so much a law, really, as a common principle in the scriptures. If you select an important biblical word, say worship, you'll find that its first biblical appearance sets the tone for all the richness of meaning that will emerge. Through the word, we go on to find many new understandings and many variations on the theme, but the first cut is the deepest. The first mention gives us the essential picture. And that's what we're looking at today. We're going to take this principle of first mention, and we're going to look at the idea of words. When are words first spoken in Scripture? Who spoke those words? And what does that have to do with us? We're going to observe some things about those words that are spoken early on in Genesis. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 3, but verse 3 first, because that's where we see words used by God himself. God said, let there be light, and there was light. I love the way that it comes across in Hebrew. It, 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 it maybe could be translated like this. God states, exist light, light exists. I like that. It's, a, it's, a, it's not quite as passive as it comes off in English. But let there be light. Let there be light. Now, why did, why did God say that? What, is the, what, what are things that we can observe from this one statement? Let there be light. Well, before we dig into that, let's identify something. The fall destroyed us. So we're looking at something that happened before the fall, right? Let there be light. God said that before the fall of mankind, that people aren't even created yet, right? So before we try to understand that in its context, let's identify something. The fall brought a lot of destruction. Perhaps on this side of eternity, we're never really going to understand how shattered we really are. Because God created us in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And that image of God was to reflect God. But sin came into the world. And when sin entered the world, there was a shattering. There was a separation 
from God in a way that hadn't existed and in a way that wasn't intended by God himself. But as a consequence of our sin, we became shattered or warped. And perhaps the best picture, and I recognize this falls way short of the best, but perhaps it's these kind of images. You've ever been to a carnival or a circus and you've went in and seen the mirrors, you know, and those mirrors are kind of warped a little bit and you look at them and you're like, that's me, but if I look like that, I need to go to a doctor. You know, like, that's not right. And that's, that's how it is. We're, the, we're in the image, we're created in the image of God, but you know, we're a little warped. We need to go see the doctor, the great physician. Uh, we need that warping to, <laughs> to go away. And, and that's what Jesus does. This falls short of the destruction of the fall in the garden. It falls short, that this image falls short of that. But I think it helps us to start to understand that there's a, there's a problem. So when God says, let there be light, this, we recognize this is perfect. This is before the fall. This is before there's any warping that takes place. And God says, let there be light. But why did he say that? Well, if you look back just a couple of verses in verse 1 of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So there are these issues, formless, void, and darkness. And God responds to that with a phrase, let there be light. Let there be light. And there was light, and the light was good. I would think, for me personally, uh, I would think, okay, formless needs an answer, void needs an answer, darkness needs an answer, but it turns out I'm not God, and God is able to fix this with one phrase. So let's, let's make some observations. Let's talk that through just a little bit. First of all, God uses his words in a creative way. You ever wonder, how are our words supposed to be used? Well, God uses his in a creative way. It's the first thing that we find out about God. In the beginning, God created. Created. Creativity is a part of God's very uh, character. It's the first thing that we learn about God is that he's a creative type of God. So it's no wonder that the very first phrases that he speaks are going to be creative. Is that how we use our words? In creative ways? Let me go positive ways. (laughs) Creative positive ways. Let's keep looking. God uses his words in creative ways for sure, but also to address a problem or a concern. Formless void and darkness. Formless void and darkness. And God uses his words to address a problem, an issue, a matter. And in a creative way, God uses his words. How are we doing at using our words? Are we doing them creatively in a positive way? Are we doing them creatively to address a problem? Then we see this. God uses his words not just in a creative way, not just to address a problem, but also to reveal his plan. If we were to take the scriptures 
and hold them out as one narrative from Genesis all the way through Revelation, we would see God weaving his plan through this. And this plan starts early on, let there be light. And that light addresses this issue of of, uh, formless, of void, of darkness. Throughout all, all of scriptures we see it. How are we doing with our words? Do our words reveal God's plan? It's a good question. Fourth, point to a Savior. Now, this is a subtle phrase that's used early on, let there be light. And uh, it's a subtle idea that it points to the Savior. But as we start to read the Scriptures, and as we get into the Gospels, and especially the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus is revealed as the light of the world. God's plan is being spoken way back here at the beginning of creation, and we see it revealed later on. But we can extend this story of of Genesis and personalize it and say, okay, what is God's work in my life? Does let there be light, the the use of God's words in my life, is this still true? Yeah, God's word has spoken to me in creative ways. God's word has spoken to me in in ways that have addressed the problem. God's word has spoken to me in a way that reveals his plan. God's God's words have spoken to me in a way that point me to Jesus. How are we doing with our words? Before we jump ahead, let's talk about these phrases. Formless, void, and darkness. Let's address those. Uh, these, these are very important terms that we're going to use. The, the, the word formless, by the way, in Scripture is used a couple of different ways. It doesn't just mean without boundaries. It, it can also mean a place of chaos. It can mean uh, empty or emptiness. So how does Jesus address that? We'll talk about it in a minute. How about void? Void is a phrase when we read it, like, like It's an abstract term that our brain doesn't really get around very easily. It's hard to make concrete of this word void, but it's often used. In fact, this word is used three times in the scriptures, almost always associated with the first word formless, and uh, it means a waste or a desert place. A waste or a desert place. And then darkness. Darkness is a word that often refers to obscurity. It's obscure. Mm, It's a place you don't want to go. It can also mean death or the grave. So with that, let's look at at how Jesus reflects in his life what Genesis reveals here. First of all, let's talk about formless. As I said, it's a word that means empty or a place of chaos. How does Jesus address that with his life? Well, John 15, 4 Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This place of emptiness is filled by abiding, by staying united, connected with Christ, who is the Word of God. Christ, as the Word of God, he lives this out. Let's look at void. 
Jesus reflects in his life what Genesis 1-3 reveals, void. Void is that desert place. It's a, a wasteland. And John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you see this steal, kill, and destroy, if you see this anywhere in the world, know that Satan is at work. He's just doing what his job description tells him to do, steal, kill, and destroy. That's his job. But Jesus doesn't stop there, and he fleshes it out. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So where there is this wasteland, God is giving abundant life. And he does it through the word of God. Remember early on in uh, John, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. The word that's used there is logos. It's a, a phrase that the Greeks used often, and, and the Greeks, when they used it, they meant a, a, a logical idea is how it was initially understood. It's not just babbling words. They're not just babbling, but it's a logical idea. It's a concept, a, a principle that you can understand that makes sense. And then from there, it, it developed, and they started to use it as the creative force this, this Logos was the creative force that started the world. If any of you are Star Wars fans, then you can think of it as the force. That's, that, that would kind of be the idea. It's the force, this Logos. But in Alexandria, Egypt, a Hellenized Jew said, wait a minute, I, I understand what you're saying, but actually the Logos is God himself. He's the one who created. He's the one who set things in motion. And he's not this absent God. He's very present and as this God is present, he created, and he creates. And that's the Logos. And then John took that understanding, he said, wait a minute, that's not, just, that's not just Yahweh, that's Yahweh in the flesh, that's Jesus himself. He is the word of God. He's Jesus in the flesh. And with that in mind, we see this, that in these wastelands, and these desert places, the word in the flesh, he brings life. He brings abundance. See, darkness. Again, darkness meaning obscurity. Do, do I have a purpose or do we just wander around this world? Do we just kind of accidentally make it? Do I live to work so that I can pay my bills, so that I can retire, so that I can do what I want, so that eventually I die and maybe my kids will have something? Is that, is that our purpose? That feels like darkness. That feels like obscurity. So in John chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, says it this way. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You have a purpose. You're not obscure. It's like God is saying, I know you, and I've called you to myself. You don't just wander around hoping that there's something at the end to give to your kids, and then you die into darkness, this obscurity. Now there is life, and this life is intended for you, and this life is the true life. The word of God who has made flesh, and he's come for us. So let's consider that as we look on. 
God in the flesh from the abundance of the Father's heart. Have you ever considered this? Uh, Jesus, Jesus says it in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says it this way. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. So, what does God's mouth speak? The word of God. Jesus in the flesh. Manifest in the flesh. Jesus, God incarnate. That's who comes. And what do we see about him? We see that he's good. We see all of these things, that he's creative, that he addresses the problem, that he reveals God's plan, that he points people to the Savior of the world. He lives that out and he speaks that truth. And that's the purpose of words lived out in Jesus and given to us as his people uniquely to steward. So how are we doing in stewarding this? How is this working in our homes, in our private lives, outside of Sundays? How does it work at school? How does it work at work? How are we using our words? Would the world look in at the church and go, you know what, social media, the church looks so much different than the world? Or do they go, hmm, I don't think I'd ever want to be a part of that. If so, then there's some repentance that needs to occur. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we have to be honest with ourselves that our words can be sinful, and in part because of how Jesus addresses it. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is something going on internally that is coming out through our words. And it reveals something. And sometimes what it reveals is sin that has not been crucified, that is not being addressed. And as followers of Christ, we have this responsibility to repent. I'm walking in this direction and I think it's good, but I'm convinced that it's wrong. And I'm going now in this direction toward God. And I'm convinced by his word. I just want to give you a few moments. The worship team is going to be coming here in just a second. And as they start to come forward, I want to give you just a quiet moment, maybe about 30 seconds, just to quietly consider, how are my words? Holy Spirit, are, are my words giving life or are they drawing death? Have, have I been using my words in a creative way? Have I been using my words to address a problem? Have I been using my words to reveal a plan? Have I been using my words to point people to Christ? Or have I been extending death? formlessness, a place of chaos? Have I been using my words for uh, a void, a wasteland? Have my words extended darkness? I want to give you about 30 seconds to just let the Spirit of God work in your own heart and convict as you need to, as he needs to. Amen. This is a good time for us to prepare our hearts for the offering. And the offering is, is simply what we give to God. And, and first of all, I want to thank you for being amazing givers. God has used your gifts to extend his kingdom. And uh, I believe that Friendship Church is doing a great job at doing that. But I want to tell you that it's not about Friendship Church. Uh, it is about God's kingdom and stewarding this message that we've been talking about and living it out 
in real time. So thank you for giving. Today, as, uh, as the offering comes in just a moment, I, I want to ask you to do a couple of things. One, to continue to pray for us, that we would be good stewards uh, of the gospel and that we would not just manage this money, but that we would do it for the glory of God. Always, always. And then secondly, I want to I encourage you to use this offering as a way of saying, God, I, I am placing myself in your hands again. Just even as, as the bucket goes by, whether, whether uh, you're giving financially or not, that, that, that part is not as important as, Lord, you have my heart again and you have my words again and I want to do everything I can to follow you. And this is just another example of that. And, and in a creative type of way, I'm doing that again here today, just as the offering comes. And would you join me as we pray for the offering today? Lord, we love you. And we thank you and praise you and ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted and lifted up. We ask, Almighty God, that just in a very real way, you would uh, have your way. I thank you, Lord, for uh, the amazing way that you supply our needs. And I thank you, Lord, for this fellowship who, who doesn't just give out of abundance, but gives sacrificially. And, and doesn't just give, but does it joyfully. I thank you for this fellowship. Lord, I thank you for this group of people who would just spend some time to measure their words and to, to uh, uh, calibrate back to you. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask that you would use this offering for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.